Hello and welcome to episode number 99 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin. Big surprise. Try not to be shocked. I've got a really fun episode for you guys today uh, doing a dual release. Uh, if you're listening to this in real time, uh, you may have just finished listening to the Bruce Bray episode number 98. Now I've got Kevin Ty episode number 99. And next Wednesday, the big triple digits really heating things up. And, uh, and it's a great episode, so stay tuned for that next week. But for now, got some good stuff for you. Um, I'm going to start off by telling you that the this podcast is a reminder of why I don't believe in fantasy sports or uh, fantasy bands or any of those sort of fantasy things where people uh, put together what they think is going to be like the greatest lineups and stuff like that. Because in in... In those cases, I've always said, you know what, you could put the greatest, uh, quote unquote greatest, because I mean, other than statistics in sports, uh, greatest is really kind of an opinion. But you can put the greatest people together, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have some unstoppable force in whatever the industry, be it football, baseball, basketball, music. Um, it, it just, I mean, it really, the word fantasy really should be underlined. So... Kevin and I have been trying to get this podcast together for a while. His schedule is insane. Um, you know, he's got a family. He's got an acting career, a music career, and uh, he runs his own recording studio. And then I just I just like sit here and do stuff. And to try and find time for us to get together, we've been talking about this on and off for months. And so um, he we were going to record this week and then we had to reschedule. And then he he sent me a message. He's like, hey, I'm home like right now. I've got a studio session in a little over an hour. Do you want to do it? I'm like, yes. So I hop on and he's got one of the, the newer iPhones. I have an older iPhone. I have a 5S and the 5S still allows you the ability to plug uh, an audio cable into it. And that is how uh, I record the podcast. So I take my guests and I I talk to them on the phone most of the time. And that's because I started this without a, a sound card that had a loopback function. I actually can reconsider some of this a little bit now. But I talk to all my guests on the phone. And if we're recording over a voice line or Skype or Facebook or you know Google Hangouts, uh, I do it all through the phone. So I have this audio cable that runs from the phone into my mixer. And then the mixer goes into the uh, audio interface, which goes into the computer. Well, Kevin's phone doesn't have a jack on it like that because it's a newer one. And Apple said, no, we're not doing this anymore and got rid of it. And, you know, I, I don't know if they're trying to push Bluetooth technology or what they're trying to do. But for this application, it absolutely does not work well. <laughs> so, so the problem with it is if he just listens to me on the phone and talks into his microphone and records his audio, which is what we were going to do, uh you could still hear me through his phone speaker going into his microphone because we use very sensitive microphones. So there's a problem that's going to sound really weird because there's going to be a, a like a delay and uh, that would make me a little bit echoey and then I can't really filter myself out of his track as well. So it's going to be kind of sloppy. So he's like, oh, I'll do it this way. And then we came up with all these different ways. And finally, we just ended up with just me recording it. And he was going to record his as a backup just in case. And we went like totally the way I would just do this anyway. So the the idea of putting these great minds together, these great talents together and making like some supercharged, amazing, non-stoppable force, 
this just goes to show that you could take two intelligent minds who are very experienced in their field and we will overthink everything to death. <laughs> So uh, so we ended up eating up quite a bit of time uh, in the process of that, which is why this podcast is a little bit shorter. Uh, Kevin and I could talk for hours, and we have many times at great length. I've been over to his studio. He's been over to my studio uh, when I lived in Arizona, and a uh, great guy, very talented. Um, I, I didn't know him when he first became a musician because he did that when he lived in England. But as I watched him grow as an audio engineer and and really as a writer, uh, in, especially in film scores, um, man, he's just gotten so talented. And, you know, it was always in him. It, it's just a matter of learning how to express it and how to develop some of those things that uh, you have to think differently when you are writing music for film versus music for an album or uh, just, you know, a project or whatever. And uh, he's really, really come so far. And I I, I'm so proud of him. He's put in the work and it shows the talent really has shown through and uh, he's, he's doing great and I couldn't be happier for him. And I was really, really glad to grab some time with him. But before we get to his interview, got some uh, news bits and things to talk about. Uh, I just saw that the first official Ronnie James Dio documentary is in the works. I'm very excited about that. I only had the pleasure of seeing Ronnie perform one time. Uh, it was with Dio and it was in Arizona at an outdoor stadium. I don't know what it was called at the time. I think it was the Cricket Pavilion or something. And uh, he opened the show and then the Scorpions played and then Deep Purple headlined. And uh, it was a fantastic show, except for the Scorpions had the drums were up on this like seven or eight tiered uh, riser. And that would be fine, except that on each of the tiers, they had these blinding white lights that they would just blast the crowd with. I'm like... You guys have been touring for like 40 years. How does the people that that design the light show, how do they not know that that's an absolutely horrible idea? It was miserable. And we were way in the back, like like almost like halfway up the uh the theater. And it was it was just I can't even imagine for the people in the front like 20 rows how awful that must have been. I would have watched the show with my eyes closed. I guess listened to to the show with my eyes closed, I should say. And, uh, you know, I've seen the Scorpions a couple times before. They're a great band. They're really good live. Uh, some bands are really good in the studio. Some bands are really good live. And some bands are good in the studio and live. And this was not one of their better performances, this particular one. But I've seen them live and they've been fantastic on other occasions. Uh, but but to get back to Ronnie, uh, that was the only time I ever got to see him perform. And Man, that guy was a a powerhouse, an absolute powerhouse as a writer, as a performer, uh, and as a person. You know, I've listened to a lot of interviews with Ronnie, and he he really had a lot of things right. Uh, the way that you treat your fans, the what you put into your music, uh, how you choose to show yourself as a person. There there were a lot of great things about Ronnie. I really wish I'd had uh, the chance to meet him, uh, but I didn't. I'm not as excited about this hologram tour thing. I, I have to say the idea of that is really just, I, I don't know, I, to pay that kind of money and then go see not him and a, a facsimile of him. I, I don't know. I, it just feels a, a little bit cheated, I guess, for me. Uh, and I, I just saw recently that Carl Palmer uh, is trying to do the same thing with Emerson Lake and Palmer, where he's looking at doing a hologram of Greg Lake and a hologram of Keith Emerson. I don't know how that would work, but uh, I, yeah, I, I just off the top of my head, I can't say I'm a fan of it. 
but if I were to go and give it a chance, I might feel completely differently. I might feel like, wow, I only got to see ELP one time also. Um, that was in Denver. And uh, a Dream Theater was the opening band. Dream Theater was an opening band at that time. They opened for Emerson, Lake and Palmer opening for Deep Purple, uh, which was interesting because Deep Purple opened for them at the California Jam. And uh, they uh, I think ELP headlined the show. And uh, I I would thought that Deep Purple was a bigger band. But I guess the, the story goes that the contract that Deep Purple signed was that they were going to take the first spot as the sun went down so that that was the first time in the entire long show that the uh, that the lights would be impressive. And that was a big deal to Richie. So they signed the contract to do that. And so ELP ended up headlining. And um, of course, that wasn't good enough. Richie said that he really wanted to blow ELP off the stage. And so he did this whole... Um, thing blowing up his amp but that got a little out of control the video is phenomenal like that is rock and roll lifestyle at its finest uh and and the california jam was a great show too and that was on the uh the burn tour uh so that's going on deep purple's new album is coming out uh in march of 2020 and i'm very very excited about that uh their last album infinite is one of my favorite albums it's it's just amazing. You know, Alice Cooper had a huge hit with his newest album. Uh, Deep Purple did. Uriah Heep is doing well with their newest album, Living the Dream. It's really great to see that these people that have been doing this for a long time, and now there's so many other bands out there, that they're still cutting through all the noise and getting the recognition and putting out music that people are really enjoying. I mean, these are chart-topping albums all over the world. So that's really that really makes me happy. And uh, I'm looking very, very forward to uh, hearing what the new album has to offer. I've not heard anything off of it yet. So uh, who knows what it's going to sound like. But uh, the only thing that I've heard so far is that it's very fresh. And that could mean any great number of things. So uh, lots of excitement there. And before I bring Kevin on, I just want to remind everybody, uh, after next week's episode, episode 100, I'll be taking a, a bit of a hiatus from the podcast because I'm falling behind on a lot of other things that I need to do in uh, in the music side of things and in the writing side of things. And so uh, hopefully I'll be able to get caught up and uh, I will have some shows coming on intermittently. Uh, I've scheduled a bunch of shows with artists that have projects coming out, but the release dates of them are still uh, all up in the air. So I'm waiting to hear what the release dates are going to be so that we can do the interview and then I can bring them on once uh, they're released so that uh, the links will be in the show notes. And if you guys like uh, what you hear, then you can just go right and, and grab it. Because uh, I think people tend to forget, like if I were to bring on a show today and say my guest has their new album coming out in three weeks, uh, in three weeks, are you going to remember to uh, to check it out? You like the podcast, you like what they had to say, you were interested, but three weeks go by, you're you know you've lived three weeks of your life, you might not remember. So I really try to time uh, guests that come on with new releases as the releases are actually out on the market, so that the links are just right there in the show notes. You can click while you're listening uh, to the show. So uh, so I will be bringing on some guests intermittently as those projects are coming together. I've been hearing. Uh, little bits and pieces of, of the progress of them. And some of them are getting pretty close. So uh, then it just comes time to when we can schedule the interview and, and all that. So there will be some intermittent uh, episodes as I'm on hiatus and hope that you guys will enjoy those. Uh, subscribe on whatever uh, medium that you're listening on. 
uh, if you're on YouTube, that one can get a little bit sketchy because not all the episodes end up showing up on YouTube. I don't know why there's been some issues that my distributor has uh, made us aware of. It's I don't know if it's just a glitchy thing or what. I don't think there's anything intentional going on. But if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Podbean, which is my host, uh, I have uh, a Podbean app on my phone where I listen to a great number of podcasts, actually, when I'm doing other things where I can listen. And uh, so uh, subscribe, and hopefully you'll be able to get the notifications that uh, there's a new episode coming out, or just check back from time to time. Uh, also, I'm I'm very heavy on social media. On Instagram, the Haskincast podcast now has its own Instagram I, for the longest time, could not figure out how to get a second Instagram to my mental sauna Instagram. And uh, for the, everywhere that I looked, it said you couldn't do it. And then you could do this cheat thing where you could kind of get it to work, but it wasn't stable. And, and then I, a couple of my friends had multiple Instagrams. And I reached out to one and I said, hey, how did you do this? And she goes, oh, well, you just do this on your profile. And there you go. Okay, well, now they've made it available to do that. So now the Haskincast podcast has an Instagram. It is the Haskincast podcast. Why would it be anything else? So uh, go check that out. Follow me there. I do the show announcements there. I also do them on my mental sauna Instagram, on Twitter under Scott Haskin 31. On uh, Facebook, uh, there is a, uh, a page for the podcast where I also do a monthly drawing and send a prize to the winner. And uh, you guys didn't call me out on this, but last month I totally spaced it. I didn't send one out at all. So I'll be doing a double this month. So all you have to do is go and like the page. I take all the people that have liked the page. I enter them into a random number drawing and whatever number comes up, uh, that is the number of the person that uh, wins the prize. I've done flash drives with all the mental sauna albums on them. I've done uh, Haskin Cast podcast mugs. And I've got some other stuff in the works. So uh, you definitely want to get on that and win some swag. So uh, that's everything that's going on here. Uh, I have already recorded, uh, actually a month ago, I recorded the episode intro and outro to episode 100. So it may seem a little weird because I had no idea when exactly it was going to come out. Um, the scheduling of podcasts did not quite go as I wanted to. I wanted to actually be past episode 100 by now. Um, but you know, it, it really comes down to when I can schedule the interviews, then when I have the time to clean the audio and all that good stuff. Last thing I want to remind you guys, there are, especially for you composers, there are uh, a series of three videos on my YouTube channel where I did a walkthrough of Eduardo Terralante's newest sound library, Nada, which is designed uh, primarily for meditation, but it's also good for all kinds of things. Uh, documentaries, uh, I can see some video games. Um, you know, I actually got hired to uh, do a, a, a new age intro and I used it for that and it worked beautifully. So, uh, yeah, so there's that walkthrough. And then I'm going to start a series here fairly soon of videos on how I do my podcast for those people that are interested in getting into the podcast world or just curious about how I do my own podcast. And uh, I started one. I did one on uh, how I work IDC, Audionamics's instant dialogue cleaner, into my process that I started working with last January, right before the NAM show. And uh, got to visit with them at NAM. They were actually featuring my podcast on their display at the NAM show, which was very flattering. And uh, that was pretty cool. And there's a picture of me out there uh, with the, t the monitor in the background showing my uh, dialogue be uh, being cleaned. So uh, so the, that is coming soon. I've said that uh, 
video off to Audionamics for their approval because when you're working with vendors and uh, and you know business partners, you want to make sure that you're you're doing things that show them in the right light as well. I mean, if if there was something I didn't like about it, I wouldn't expect them to have me take that out. Uh, and there isn't. I, I absolutely love everything about it. It's a very simple tool, which you'll see in the video. But uh, but I think it's uh, you know good for relationships. And I want to make sure I'm explaining things right, because maybe there's something that I don't know about it. And when they see the video, they can go, oh, hey, did you realize that you can just do this? Or if you did this this way, that might work better. So I, I definitely like to uh, work with the, with them on that kind of stuff. And uh, very, very exciting. So there'll be uh, some videos coming out also intermittently, depending on when I can do them and when they get the approvals of how I do the podcast. Actually, that's really the only one I need approval on. So uh, so I'm just waiting on that to come back. And uh, apart from that, that is everything. I hope that you guys uh, enjoy this show and the next show and all the past shows. Thank you so much to everyone who's done a review, who has left a star rating, especially those five-star ratings. Uh, thank you to everyone who has written me. If you have a question or a comment, uh, if there's a guest that you want to see come on the show, write me at scott at scotthaskin.com. I cannot make any promises. Uh, it all depends on timing, uh, accessibility, uh, the, the guest's willingness to come on the show, all those sorts of things. There's really a lot to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they're a signed artist and it deals with the contractual obligations with their publicist and all that stuff. So it, it can get pretty crazy, but if you have a guest, send them to me. I will try to get them on the show. And, uh, thank you for sharing while I'm on hiatus. If you're, uh, if you haven't listened to all the shows, there's obviously 100 of them that you can go back and listen to, uh, and enjoy while I'm on hiatus. If you've already heard them and liked them, listen to them again. But, you know, I also encourage you to take some of those guests that you really enjoyed and search for them on your podcast app. I use the uh, podcast app actually to do a lot of research on my guests before I interview them so that I can move past some of the repetitive questions. There's certain things that you have to talk about. Um, but, uh, but I try and, and find, you know, a little bit different ways to do them because the, the interviews tend to sound really repetitive after a while, it's like the same list of questions, same answers or slight variations on the answers. And, you know, I want it to be fun for them. I want it to be fun for you. And I want it to be some content that you don't get everywhere else. So that's the goal with the podcast. Now let's get to Kevin. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I say it every week, and this week is no different. For my 99th episode of the Haskin Cast podcast, I'm very excited to bring on my very good friend, Kevin Ty, all the way from England, no, Arizona. Kevin, how are you? I'm good, but 99, I think I need to wait a week and do the 100. Like, that's a big that's a big deal. So maybe I should be the hundredth one, or maybe you can just retitle this the hundredth one or, or 100.1. I don't know. 100.1. Yeah. I actually have recorded uh, my hundredth episode about a month and a half ago. Oh, wow. Congratulations. I've caught a few Thank of them you. and I just cannot believe that you you're at a hundred podcasts. I mean, I, yeah. if I had to do one myself, I would struggle to find 10 people. So I'm glad that uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're bringing me on. Well, I pay well, and uh, it's, <laughs> you know, but scheduling really is a challenge. Getting people like uh, you and I have been trying at this for a couple of months now, on and off, yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. we waded through a heavy amount of technical issues this morning. Which for two guys who are studio owners, you know, uh, to try and sync up to get the best quality sometimes is a challenge. It's it's the it's the story of my life. Like I think any engineer you meet, like I was watching um, uh, the the uh, the uh, Grammys the other day, and um, 
that uh, that young chick that won everything and her brother, Phineas, uh, what's her name? I can't remember her name now, but her brother, who's the engineer, was saying, you know, I, I recorded this whole album in my bedroom and um, I don't need a big studio to record. And someone said, well, what's the problem with the big studios? And he said, it takes them an hour to get the aux cord working, um, which is <laughs> which is kind of what you and I were doing today, getting simple things taking forever to work. But, um, you know, and I can't even blame Mac and PC. Like, it really wasn't that. It was just yeah. that my I, I had a fatal flaw in the way I was recording, and, and that's what undoes things, fatal small flaws. So I'm glad we got it working, though. Oh, me too. And I think that there's something to be said, too, for, you know, wanting it to be as perfect as possible and uh, doing mm-hmm. everything you can. But I think sometimes we try to do too many things to yes. get there where something simple, like I'll, I'll put on a bunch of different filters and clean this and that, and I'll listen back to the original track and go, all I really needed to do was this. Yeah, precisely. We we over and and I think you know getting into the music production side of things because uh, that's what you and I come from. There is just over complications of everything. Like really, you don't need half of the crap that we have. Yeah, and um and we we have we have it because a it looks good and b it does a certain job well. But really, you just you don't need it because again, it over complicates things. One of the reasons I don't have a big mixing board in my studio um is because it's just too complex to work and and i i want to keep things simple yeah and you know right now of course we're recording a couple of days after valentine's day which means that all of the companies that we buy from are having huge valentine's day sales because that's related to music and it it really is amazing how many tools are out there and you know i'm a sucker for buying stuff because i think i'll use it and then i just end up with a ton of stuff and and i look back at the list of things i own and i'm like what does this even do i've never used it plugins are the what they would class as the divorceware of our our <laughs> industry like they they really are one of the the way they market them is genius and it and it just and it, it you know the way that you watch these videos and you're like i need this and yeah. then you get it and you're like i didn't need this mm-hmm. but i'm going to find a way to use it and and hopefully i can justify the extreme cost of some of these plugins i mean some of them are just outstanding at what they do i just personally don't always have a use for them but that doesn't stop me buying them. That's the yeah. Problem. Well, you think that down the road you're going to need this, so you might as well get it now while it's on sale. And you just watched a video of somebody who's become an expert on how to quickly dial in that plugin to make it look so easy to use. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it kind of equates to me to the old days of infomercials and watching things like the salad choppers and all those little food items. And they show you, and it's, it takes them two minutes to prepare this thing. But what they're not showing you is all the actual prep time that they needed to cut the vegetables down to fit in it and and wash them and all that. And it really gives you a completely false impression of what you're getting. That's exactly. And I buy those things too. That's the thing. It's funny. <laughs> I, I just bought a new kitchen gadget. I like to cook. That's one of my other yeah. avenues. I, I don't like the, the prep of cooking or the post-cooking cleanup, but I love cooking. But you're right. I mean, a lot of that is kind of skewed upon. You don't see all of this. You don't see like in the studio session to draw it back to that, which, by the way, I, I assume we're, that's we're going to talk predominantly about our love of gear and uh, studios and all this kind of stuff. But, oh, yeah, you know, we we're always we're always trying to, um, you know, sell the sexiness of being a, an engineer. But what you don't see is you don't see ally chopping vegetables to, to begin with or getting the stock soup ready. You don't see us running cables for 20 minutes or testing different microphones or mm. making sure the artist's water is at the right degree of, of whatever they want. You know, there's a lot of 
nerdy unsexy stuff that goes in with running recording studios and um you don't see that you don't you know no one's going to set a plug-in that's going to help you with some of the crap that we have to do <laughs> well that's very true and much like uh you know you don't see the cleanup when you're watching a salad chopper infomercial you don't see somebody standing there for 15 minutes wrapping all the cables that they got out for that session and putting all the mic stands away and that sort of thing Precisely. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot that goes yep. into it. But you and I met when you were really predominantly an actor and you were kind of doing music as as more of a hobby. And mm-hmm. now you've got your own beautiful recording studio in one of probably the only houses in Arizona that actually has a basement because they're very expensive to uh, to blast out of the hard ground. And uh, <laughs> I've, I've watched you build this from a, a monitor on the wall and a little Mac mini to this really beautiful recording studio with a full vocal booth. And man, you've really uh, built yourself an amazing place there. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a journey and still is. And, and we like to say it's done. Well, our spouses like to say, oh, it's done, <laughs> right? You, you, now you're finished. And it's like, no, no, this is a this is a consistent thing. Like I, I did. And so a little backstory, when I emigrated to the US, one of the main things I said when I emigrated is if, if we're going to do this with this huge jump in life change, I want to do the things that I don't think it would have been as easy to achieve in England. Mm. Um, and so one of them was I'd love a recording studio. So when I, oh, one of our first houses, I had the spare room and obviously I had to kind of uh, argue real estate with the, the the spare bed that no one used or, or the closet full of stuff or the rowing machine or whatever it was we had in there but then gradually as we moved houses um i had more and more space and then when we purchased this house which by the way i thought the entire street had basements because it you know that's the kind of street it was but it, no that this is the only house on our street that actually has a basement and i wow. said immediately i know what i'm doing with that space and um <laughs> I got a weird look from our realtor who was like, uh, okay, British accent and kind of weird gleam in his eyes. I don't want to know what you're doing down there, but, but you know, so, but it's been a, it's been a journey and it still continues to be a journey. I'm, I'm still always doing something. I'll tell regular clients that come in and out that I'm, you know, when you come back next week, this may look completely different and five times out of seven, it usually does. Yeah. Um, and I'm in the midst of planning another huge upgrade to the studio, which I've had to put the brakes on because of just planning. Um, I have to reinforce the soundproofing because the great thing about a studio is I'm surrounded on all sides by, by thick concrete, but above me, um, I have the pleasure of hearing people walk, you know, above and, and, and with the wooden flooring we have, it, it just kind of resonates more. Mm-hmm. Not that it picks up with the sound, but I don't like, I like, you know, I'm trying to create my own little dungeon here and I don't want to hear people upstairs. So, right. um, and my wife has just started working from home and her office just happens to be directly above the studio. So <laughs> whereas one, once upon a time I could play my music a little bit louder when I was mixing or recording, I, I don't have that luxury. So there will be more huge changes coming in the, in the, I would say a little bit distant future. Um, but yeah, I, it, it is a absolute um, love affair with recording and now building. Like I, I um, it's funny. We we're talking last, actually last night we were, went to dinner with friends and they said, what do you guys do Valentine's day? And I said, you know, one of my perfect ideas of Valentine's day is watching HGTV to figure out what it is that I can build next, you know, right. <laughs> how it's yeah. relatable to studio. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's and that's why I refuse to go into an Ikea until I actually buy a house. Um, I don't want to get all these brilliant ideas in my head that I can't jump on and do because then I won't care when I actually get to them. But 
but you know, I think a studio is kind of like any uh, any project, whether it be a play or a movie or a piece of music. At some point, we're going to continue to build on it, and it, it, we'll we're never going to call it done. We're just going to go ahead and work it in the public eye anyway. Yeah, you, you have to, and you know, I follow like everybody does. Um, all of the, the YouTubers, the the Rick Beatos, Beatos, um, the guys at uh, Spitfire Audio, and they have this crib series where they're always forever visiting people's really nice studios. And that is my, that's my downfall right there. Like mm-hmm. I'll watch a video and I'll literally the next afternoon, I'm ripping down a wall because I saw this really good diffuser that someone had and I want the same thing. So, so, and it's got to a point where like, I have to focus back on the music element of it, which is by the way, still incredibly busy in my particular studio as well, but mm-hmm. I've got to, you know, I'm trying to find time to build things to make the studio look better when most times people were like, well, how does that contribute to the sound or, or the recording? And it doesn't. It's usually aesthetic. And, and so they're like, OK, well, that doesn't really do anything for the sound. But it, it's all part and parcel of it. Like I, you mentioned the acting thing. So, again, to uh, for those that don't know me, um, luck, lucky for you, first of all. <laughs> Not at all. You're a great guy. <laughs> we, we've Thank known you. each other for a long time. And yeah, you're, it's, it's you're a definitely one of the most stand-up, honest, hardworking people I've ever met. And I've always had great respect for you. And man, I remember, you know, when when we first met and you were really just kind of getting up and, and running on the film music side of things. Mm-hmm. And you've come so far. You've really put your nose to the grindstone, learned the industry, learned how the music works. And you've created some beautiful soundtracks. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, with the indie side of things, um, no one ever hears them. No one ever hears them for the most part. And, you know, you think of the painstaking hours and hours and hours and, you know, days, months, weeks, whatever. And and no one really hears it. And it's kind of it's that's why I don't do so many of them now, because it's like you pour your heart and soul into it when you're composing. And and you you in the back of your mind this growing thought of well who's going to hear this is is this going to get an audience because at the at the most at its core most artists just want their their art to be seen or heard right mm-hmm. or, or that's really it like I would be happy doing projects with the financials to the side but but really knowing there's a huge audience that is going to see and hear it that I would be very satisfied with that um, of course that doesn't pay the bills so there is that balance you have to strike but. Uh, you know, that's really what I want. I want to create beautiful music that moves people, just like anybody that's writing music for film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want people to hear it. Um, I don't want to have it set on my hard drive and only have me and the producer and a couple of people that worked on the film hearing it. Well, and and that's really the biggest challenge, I think, for anyone who does anything multifaceted. I mean, being that you run the studio, you write music, you're also acting from time to time. Um, it's it's got to be really hard to strike a balance between those things, let alone having a family on top of that. Yeah, that I mean, I haven't mentioned that. You know, I have, I'm married to a very, um, very loving wife that uh, I think has either just ignored my shenanigans or got learned to live with them. <laughs> and two really great kids um that uh i you know i i of course want to make sure i'm there for them and i have the luxury with my day job i don't you know i'm not lucky enough to have this as my main my main to do but i you know for my day job uh, that pays the majority of the bills i get to be here morning noon and night so i'm here when they wake up they go to school i'm here when they get home i'm here to make dinner um so i, I feel like i'm filling in those when I'm struggling for time, whether it's doing music, day jobs, building a diffuser panel or something, or acting on set somewhere, I still 
find those little pockets of time that I can be there um, and just spend time with them because it's important. And that that stuff as a parent, especially, just goes by so quickly. I mean, I know it's been said a thousand million times by parents, but it does go quickly. And you look back and you think, wow, where did that time go? So I try and spend as much time as I can with them doing whatever it is they like to do. Oh, yeah. And and I'm sure that uh, their lives will be much more enhanced because you are there to support them and, and really get involved and see what they're going through. Whereas so well, I think I get in the way. <laughs> well, I, 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 my, my wife argues I probably get in the way too much because I'm overcompensating somewhere with, with like the time I spend doing these other projects. But, you know, for the most part, we have fun. My my, go, my golden rule, and I don't always live by this, but it, it's like I want to have fun. I want I want. I don't want to look back and be one of those stern parents and, and I want to have obviously strike a balance. I'm still a parent. I'm not their best friend. I'm, I'm a parent, but I want to show them how creative they can be and not to worry about, because you know, my kids are in the teen years and there's a lot of pressure on them to conform, especially nowadays with Instagram and all of these things, lots of pressures for them to do, you know, not be themselves. And, right. and I'm, I'm, I'm like, no, that's, you live but you have to be yourself don't give in to the bullying you know we all went through that in our younger years and and i know through experience that it's okay on the other end and you will be given that time don't give up on those dreams and and that's what if if anything if anybody can take anything from my life and how i my kind of goals on life and my thought process is just do do the things you love to do even if it's for one day a month even if it's for an hour a month Make sure you find the time to do that and don't care what anyone else thinks. As long as it's not hurting anyone or illegal, then, then you know, do it is my philosophy. That's that's actually a very, very brilliant outlook. And I think it's important because people tend to shelve the things that they want to do because they just get caught up in life. Mm-hmm. And and then then resentment builds and you get end up, oh, I really wish, you know, I'd done this or done that. And you can you could, you could use this energy for anything. And that could be. I really wish I'd had the time to do more music or, or go on hikes or play with my kids or travel, whatever it is, like just just find those little times because we don't have the luxury like Instagram tells us we should, right. like just yeah. dropping everything and going and just doing what we want to do. Um, very, very few of us have that luxury. And even if we had that luxury, nine times out of 10, we don't want to do that. We want to have some kind of foundational life where we we're not kind of waking up in different places every day because for me i wouldn't like that i'd love to travel ellen but it would get it would get it would get uh annoying very quickly at least for me oh i agree and and all i can say is thank god we didn't have instagram and facebook when we were kids because i know i i don't want everything i ever did documented like that i i like the idea of finding an old photo and and coming up with this memory instead of going yeah it's in this in this album on my digital world and you're not really discovering or uncovering anything you're it's just all there all the time yeah and you follow i for the most part i find people posting the same stuff and i'm guilty of this too like i've posted stuff with the hashtag of studio life or studio whatever and, mm-hmm. and i'm like oh, i feel so cheesy doing that like i have to <laughs> take a shower because i just i just conformed you know but to a certain extent you have to conform when you were in this industry um you and you have to work with people you you kind of don't want to be the weirdo that just does what he wants to do you you want to conform a little bit and so it's a balance like everything 
Yeah, it really is. I, I want to ask you too about the soundproofing uh, since you brought that up. The biggest mm. mistake that I ever made, the first uh, basement I soundproofed was in Colorado. And I thought you really had to cover every square inch. So I had a uh, thick carpet, uh, every inch on all the walls covered. I created a false ceiling and covered those with uh, foam because I used to work at a Hewlett Packard uh, plant in Colorado mm -hmm. Springs. And so I would get all this foam for free. And, uh, but it was like a sanitarium. I mean, you walked in there and that room was so dead yeah. that it messed with your equilibrium a little bit. There really is a science to soundproofing. It's, and this is where hopefully for your viewers, I'll try and make it fun because this is really a topic that can go boring really quick. But <laughs> yes, I mean, it, soundproofing. So first of, first and foremost, if anyone's interested, there is no such thing as sound, uh, a soundproof room. There's right. no such thing. There's sound mitigated rooms and, and there's a few kind of professionals online that talk about that. Like don't set yourself up for failure by thinking that you can absolutely get rid of all the sound and you're going to live in some big chamber with no sound getting in and out. You can do that with with construction methods. But when you're dealing with an existing house with existing foundations and frames, you can't just knock it down, and start again. So what you have to do is first and foremost, sound is uh, leakage is about um mass you have to have especially if you're dealing with a problem like i've got with the ceiling it's it's the noise i'm dealing with is a lot of um flank, uh, flanking noise and what that means by that is somebody walking on a on a ceiling that's that's uh that's wood and that transfers through the joists through into my ceiling because they're connected mm -hmm. so and, and also i don't have very good um i thought i did but there should be very, very good insulation between the joists because that stops the airborne noise. So airborne meaning talking. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so what you have to do is you have to completely do a room within a room and deconnect the ceiling or decouple the ceiling from the the, the joists above um, with some special kind of soundproofing techniques. Um, and that, again, that doesn't give you a completely soundproof room. It's going to mitigate the noise to a level that's satisfactory. Can can you shoot uh, insulation into the that between layer? Between no, you, as long as it's not um, the foam insulation that hardens, because that actually exacerbates the problem. Yeah. Um, because it's it's not you want the fluffy stuff that moves freely, or ideally you want the bats of things like rocks all safe and sound in the walls. Um, but it's but but really, and, and a lot of people have a hang up on the difference between acoustics and soundproofing. Mm -hmm. So acoustics is the sound of within the room. So that's your sound panels. They don't soundproof. What they do is they mitigate the echoes and reflections in the room that make it a little bit deader than normal. You don't want it too dead, but that's what acoustics are. Mm -hmm. Soundproofing is is the, the door, the window, what materials the, the the ceiling made out of. Like how that's stopping the noise from getting in or out. The, the two the two distinct different things. And you know, learning about the differences there is is key as well. A lot of people just they they think that putting some egg crates on the wall is going to stop both sound coming in and out and make the sound in the room sound better. And it's just not the case. There's so much science that you have to learn, and and that's the problem. I didn't want to. I didn't want to learn about this stuff. Like I just wanted to have a cool studio that sounded good. And, but unfortunately if, if, if we're trying to do it on our own, for the most part, we are building these things. We've got to learn the science behind it. Otherwise it's going to cost you a ton of money. And I've been down that road as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think too, that, uh, absorption, absorption is a big word that people, uh, don't understand. I think it's, they think of more blocking sound and what they're really looking for is something to absorb it. 
Correct. And that's so so you've always got to start at what's the problem I'm trying to stop? Is it that the room I'm recording in the the sound when I record it and I listen back, I can hear too much of the room and it sounds too echoey or reverby. Mm -hmm. That's acoustics in the room. So that's mitigated by things like sound panels, absorption, diffusion and stuff like these cool panels you see on the walls in the room. But if the problem is I can hear the train and the road outside my room, now you're talking sound proofing or again, sound mitigation, which right. is stopping the sound from coming in or going out. That That's completely two different things. But if the room is a little bit too dead, then you can always buy a plug-in to add a little more yes, life. You can. <laughs> you know? There's always a plug-in. Because you don't have one that works for exactly that situation, but there's one you just saw a video on on YouTube and you have to buy <laughs> that one. And, and the marketing video is so good that you're like, oh, I've, I've, I'm missing this. Like, my mix is going to sound so much better now. But it's as you and I know, and most others, that's not always the case. Nope, not at all. Well, let's talk about your work as a composer. You've done uh, quite a number of films now. And I'm kind of curious, when you first get a film... Uh, I don't know if you feel the way that I do, but even after all the ones I've done, it's still kind of a daunting thing when you get a film that has no music because there's no emotion. Uh, You and the director have to make all those decisions. How do you approach a new film when you see it? So, yeah, it's, it's very daunting. And I think every composer I've watched on YouTube or anywhere else has said the same things. Like you feel like I'm, you're a fraud, you know, like, how did I get caught? You know, how did I get this job? But then what, what I like to do, my process is I will speak to the director and I'll sit down and say, right, okay, have you got, have you been writing when you wrote this film? If you are the writer, did you listen to a particular soundtrack when you were listened to, when you were writing it? Or did you, um, did you have a temp soundtrack as you're editing, editing it? And that's a danger because anybody that's using temp scores, they're editing these scenes over and over and over again. And, and they end up saying, well, can't we just do something like this? Like I want Buck's third overture or something like that. that's what i've listened to and i think we just need to get that and you have to educate and say well you don't have i mean for classical music's different but if you want a contemporary piece you're gonna have to pay the money for it and they don't the films i work on sadly don't have those budgets yeah um so you kind of talk to them about feel and mood and and if they've got look things like lookbooks and just things that set the mood and it's really important to then do a spot session depending on how far through the film you are because depending on on the film, you may be editing scenes or doing music for scenes as they get edited, or you may be edited a lot, editing a, a rough cut or even a locked cut. And so you want to talk to them about doing a, well, you want to do a spotting session, which it involves them coming in, watching the film and then making notes and saying, okay, I really want some music here, but I think it should be very under, underused and just kind of in the background or here. I want like obviously a fight scene. We want loud, brash, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then once you've got those basic concepts around, then you start just working on demos. And I, I demo a lot. Like I'm, I'm always writing different things that I, that, that, that move me. Like if it doesn't move me and I just, I don't want to use it because it's then just filler. Cause there's, there's so many soundtrack, so, again, back to the plugins, but, or instruments in this case, but there's a lot of plugins that just have instant buttons. You push the button or one key on the keyboard and you get an instant soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to make those. And a lot of TV shows use that kind of methodology because they're produced so quickly and they've got the same type of music, sounds the same. Take Stranger Things, for example, and the music's great, but there are a lot of shows that sound the exact same because they're using those cues. Right. So, yeah, so I've, I'll sit down and work out what it is the director likes. Sometimes that means kind of, 
tempering their expectations a little bit, you know, because there is that as well. That's that that's never mentioned, Scott. And when you have a short film or even a student film, I've had delusions of grandeur from the from the director on things they want. You have to kind of temper expectations and say, look, um, it might not even be financially, but even just time. Like you've given me three weeks to score this 25 minute film. Um, I don't, I can't get a, a string orchestra in, or I can't find an oboist who can come in and do this line you want. So maybe we need to think about alternatives or what we can do. So mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of composing isn't sitting down and kind of moving yourself on the keys and, and just feeling the music and then handing that to the director and calling it done. A lot of it is sitting in meeting rooms or on Skype sessions and looking at scripts and notes and emails and re- doing 15 different revisions on the 15 second queue because it didn't, it wasn't loud enough. To, I mean, you get where I'm going with that, but. Well, I I've heard the same thing. I mean, I've had people, uh, you know, I'll, I'll submit a score or some themes even, and they'll come back and say, well, that doesn't really sound like Hans Zimmer. And my response, my first response that I usually well, don't I'm not say, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> well, there's that. And there's also, uh, did the music budget from this film jump from $100 to $12 million all of a sudden? Yeah, because exactly. uh, that's what it, it costs to produce a score with Hans Zimmer. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the expectations, I think, of the filmmaker, because uh, the assumption is that we can create that sound in our studios at home, uh, is really off. But but it is that delusions of grandeur thing, like, I'm going to make this big epic film, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm Tim Burton, so surely my composer must be Danny Elfman. Yeah, it, precisely. And and so you've got that a lot of it really is that that kind of brass taxes of like, guys, we, you've got to pull ourselves away from this, this idea that we're going to do a concerto for this film soundtrack. Like you may get just a single piano medley, which I'll use a sample for um, a sample uh, library for, mm-hmm. but we're not going to be able to get, you know, a, a well-known composer to play it because you just don't have the budget. And and all, all the time, like I mentioned, it's not always budget that's the issue. It's also like they've got three weeks and I'm in the middle of two other jobs and I don't have that time to devote on it. And so I, I can't turn it around that quickly. Well, that's it. And and I think that because the uh, especially the orchestra samples are so good, um, they just assume that we can reproduce what that would be. But we're also not uh, we don't have a separate person doing our mixing. We don't have a separate person doing our mastering. Uh, sometimes we even have to dub the, the entire film, uh, the music, the dialogue and the effects tracks together. Um, I think that the expectations right. in the indie world are often misguided, but I guess it, it isn't that really on us to educate them to that fact. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. But also I think that it's an education for them generally to, because their contemporaries are looking at like, for example, I'll use an analogy. So if I'm trying to create a hip hop track for somebody and they say, Hey, I really want to sound like Drake or I really want to sound like Eminem. Um, with the beats I can you know there are people out there that can make those beats sound just as good and but then you have to say well okay are you Eminem can you can you spit these lines like Eminem can well probably not so am I uh, am I um, overbuilding for your particular project like am I in a bad neighborhood but I'm adding a swimming pool and a gold jacuzzi like I'm overbuilding <laughs> here do you, do you see what right. I'm saying yeah. like well, yeah because the balance of the music then and, and the lyrics is not going to flow Correct. Yeah. And you, and I've, I've 
trust me, I've been there on sessions um, where the music's good and then you hear them rap and you're like, okay, this this isn't really where I thought it was going. But hey, I love the music and I'm being paid, so I'm just going to shut up and record. <laughs> right. Well, but but that's the thing is, what what are you being hired to do? If you're being hired to be the engineer, is it kind of assumed that you're going to produce a little bit as well to say, hey, uh, your vocal line is a little bit off key. Can you sing it again? Or uh, is your job just to record what they do? And if they want that they can either uh upgrade to that service or they can bring in a producer yeah and and that's a great question i find myself doing a lot of kind of transparent like in other words i i have set prices for set things but there is uh, totally you wear multiple hats like in a recording studio you have the engineer whose job it is to listen and obviously mix and stuff like this or just make sure everything's running and you have your PAs and your runners who, who go and make the coffee and stuff. And then you have your producer who's actually the one telling the bassist how to do the bass line and in the, you know, the traditional sense. Or today, the contemporary producers are doing all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I find myself in that category where I'm doing, to your point of the, this, the indie film world, I am the sound mixer. I am doing the film mix. I am doing the score. And I'm balancing the dialogue against the sound effects and the score. So you're wearing multiple hats. So there, I do try to explain that guys, look, I mean, this is the hourly rate, but, but you're kind of, you're asking for two or three people's worth of work in that hour. I'm, I can only do you know so much. So there is a constant battle to um, try and get done what they want, but not, um, but, but not get, get them expecting that they're going to get all of those services that a massive studio would have five people doing. But for their, you know, for their $50 an hour, whatever it is they're paying for, for, for their particular rate. Right. And I think that it's kind of a general thing. I mean, I've seen um, sound designer jobs posted. And when you read the job description, they want you to do the sound design, but they actually want you to also be the composer and the sound engineer and the mix engineer and do the mastering and then program it into the video game or whatever. And I'm like, these are so many different people's jobs I think mm-hmm. that at least in the world of music, it seems like there's a huge misconception as to what a composer does, what an engineer does, what a sound designer does. It's just assumed that it's music. They handle all of that. Absolutely. They, and that's unfortunately because of some of the smaller budgets you're working with, you're forced to, to just assume that you're going to have to do multiple jobs because you could sit there and explain to people that, look, I, I'm the, the, I'm the, the, the sound engineer. I don't do that part or I don't compose. I, I, I'm the mixer. So I'm waiting for the composer to do his job and I'll mix, you know, they, they don't, they're not interested. They're, they used to, you know, getting the person to do whatever they can for the price that they can pay. And that's the indie world. And as much as I hate, um, having to kind of do everything and put essentially larger studios. When I'm not putting studios out of work, put it that way. I'm actually mm-hmm. taking the. I like to think of my studio filling in a uh, a need for for lower budgets with higher quality than what you would traditionally get with a lower budget. That that's kind of my ethos. So I'm not insulting anyone there, but um, I do find that um, I if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And I'm going to lose that opportunity. And I, I hear that all the time in in the industry. People are, if you if you a member of one of those film network, I think on Facebook there's a, a film network group that I'm mm-hmm. a member of, and somebody a director will say, "Hey guys, I've got a 30 minute film," and within 10 minutes there's a 250 responses from composers showing their demo reels saying PM me or PM you like, I'll do it for this. I'll do it for that. But there was one that one guy that had a 20 minute short 
um and one and said basically look i've got i've got 150 bucks and i need a fiend for this for this job who wants to do it and uh, everybody was falling over themselves trying to do this job and then when you heard the the link that he'd sent out of the reference that he wanted to do i mean this thing was a hans zimmer behemoth like Mm -hmm. he wanted a lot for 150 bucks but there's people that were like i'll do it i'll do it so what are the people who have that line that they won't cross I won't call it a picket line, but it is kind of a picket line mm-hmm. where you're like, well, I, I won't lower myself because that's lowering the standards for everyone. But we're already there. You know what I mean, dude? It's like, dude, you want this job or not? Well, and I remember, too, uh, thinking I, I could kind of equate it to going to a grocery store and getting a sample of a, a cheese that's just come out on the market or something. And, you know, they, they give you a little toothpick in the cube and you're, and you're like, well, hey, try this cheese. And you're like, you know what? That's that's not bad. OK, well, if you want the cheese, it's eight ninety nine a pound. And, and a minute ago, it was free and it tasted yeah. <laughs> good when it was free. And now that I have to pay for it, I don't really need that cheese. You know, there's other cheeses at half price. And if we're constantly undercutting ourselves, and I don't, I I mean, I get people work for free. You and I have done it, especially in the beginning to build up our resumes. But there comes a point where you have to stop doing that. You have to say, I need some kind of compensation for my time, for what you're getting out of this. There has to be a trade. But it's so, but there's always going to be people that were starting out like we were that are going to say, I'll do it for free because I need the credit. You know, and, and that's you, you're absolutely right. And that goes to my point of saying that there's always somebody willing to do it. And there's there's a great bunch of memes online where you can see like you can't you can have two of the three, but not all three. And I think it says like free, good and fast. Right. But you mm-hmm. can only have two of those. Right. And it's like, well, which one do you want? Do you want free and fast or do you want uh, free and good? Well, that doesn't exist. You can't. I can't remember what the meme is, but I think most will be aware of it. But yeah, yeah, no, you, you're spot on. Like, I, I absolutely do not work for free unless there's some kind of, you know, compensation or benefit to me doing that, and where I'm not going to now lower myself to a line that now what? How do I charge? Because all I've done is free stuff. I mean, it is it is an absolute silly thing to just continually do things for free because otherwise what are you doing it for it's a hobby at that point i mean you are just yeah. you're just a hobby it's not a business i mean and there's some things that are excusable like i've written pieces for charity promotions and things like that and obviously you know right. those you just do but but how can you take one client and say well i'll work for you for free and then i charge my next client like it's not fair to the next client to not get that same service for free. You've got to, you've got to consistently, and you deserved it. You you've earned it. You've worked hard. You've built up your resume and you're trustworthy. So it would be unfair to yourself not to charge, but also I think it damages the industry. Oh, absolutely. I was just going to say it help. It doesn't help yourself or your peers. And you don't want to be that guy that's considered, Oh, he'll do it for anything. I mean, that's right. not a good connotation to have against you that, oh, he'll just do it for whatever. Like, that's not a good thing. You've got to have a line. You've got to take some pride in yourself. And I'm guilty as anybody. Like, my rates right now, my my peers and my, my you know, my beloveds that I um, live with have argued that I'm way too low than what I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think they're right. But at the same time, there's a balance I have to strike. But, yeah, I, I won't do free it's silly. I don't have the time. I'd rather be playing with my kids or out with my wife hiking somewhere right. than doing free things because I don't, you know, if my existing portfolio of work isn't good enough for you to say you've got the job, then then move on to someone else. 
Absolutely. And I know that we're short on time today and we just have a couple minutes left. So I want to ask you, uh, you know, I was talking to uh, Bruce Bray, another composer in Phoenix, not too long ago. And one of the things that I always like to ask composers is, when do you call a piece done? You don't. You just you just give it a kiss, wipe its face and send it out the door. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it because we we could always add and change and modify and talk ourselves out of out of a great piece of music or a great mix. You, you absolutely. I mean, I mean, there is a point where, and this is any art, right? This is my artistic side in the acting comes through too. Like, do I have I left a scene where I'm like, I did as much as I can do. I've got to just continue doing that because that was I left my heart at the door in that scene. Like, there has been a few times where I was like, that was pretty good, but it's never like this is done. Like there are pieces where, where I'll listen back and say, oh, I could have used a, a kick drum there and I could have maybe brought the, the you know, the, the frequencies down because it's really brittle and the high end and stuff like this. So yeah, it's never done. There has to be a point where it's finished though, where you just have to move on just for your own sanity. Cause I know a lot of uh, remixes and things that come out every three or four years. I mean, George Lucas is a great example in the film world. He keeps remastering star Wars cause he's not, he's just messing with it, tweaking, tweak 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 and it's like okay great but move on create something new that this is what it is and it should be there with all its faults yeah. like i said if, if it doesn't sound if if the violin is too low in the mix then that's just what makes that piece good you just have to be be ready to just let it out the door and, and live and then move on to the next thing well, and I've said many times that one of the great things about the music of the, the 50s through the 70s and even into the 80s is that every album had a characteristic that was unique to that album and everything had a personality stamp. And nowadays, uh, especially because we're using so many virtual instruments, it seems like everything, even in the when the bands are recording, it all sounds the same now. You know, you could put one song on this album or that album and you wouldn't know the difference. You know, we're not long, we're not far away from, and I'm in the industry, but I see it coming, um, where we're going to have robots being able to do voiceovers, or not robots, but AI. Um, they're going to be able to do voiceovers professionally and as clear as you want. It's going to kill the voiceover industry, I think, personally, mm. but the same thing with music. We're already there. I mean, you've got bands in the box and stuff, but the stuff you can hear that is very, very good, um, in five, 10 years, there's going to be, uh, at, you know, AI that's going to basically write a hit song like Mick Jagger would. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's coming. So, you know, what's going to be important then is to look at, look back on the catalog of stuff that was created by humans and that's going to be more revered than it is now. So yeah. the human elements to all art is what makes it distinct from anything. And, and that's what we're going to start latching onto more as AI starts coming, taking all our jobs. Well, yeah. And from what I've heard so far of the voiceovers, if you like there are YouTube videos that are narrated by uh, computers and they're hideous. So I'm hoping it's just going to stay hideous for a while. It's uh, correct. It's my, coming, though. It is. I agree. And and uh, as we've just got a minute left, my last question for you, my friend, I had uh, both Brian Skiba and Lori Love have been on the show in the last uh, few months. And we're all still fighting for this film Crushed Velvet to come to light. I I want to know how did how did they work because you had a ridiculous mohawk in that movie and you and I both lived in the shaved head world, but how did they how did the mohawk stay in place like how did they apply that? That's a really good question. First of all, that movie I that was one. Speaking of things I'm most proud about, I was very very proud of my performances in that movie. I played the 
lead bad guy or one of the lead bad guys because then obviously it was a long time ago now and I don't recall the entire plot but um, from what I recall about the Mohawk it was just a lot of glue um, I remember them taking it off and there's a few scenes I think if I remember watching it but again we're talking six seven eight years ago yeah. maybe longer um, where I, I saw the Mohawk kind of sway off my head um, <laughs> so like you, it kind of like like one of those fake comb overs where you kind of see the the velcro underneath one side mm-hmm. I, I think that's what happened but I again they, they may have edited it out but yeah I'm, I'm hoping did they say that they're working on it or hopefully it's in it's in some kind of production hell i know that much well what it really comes down to from what they were saying is it's a budgetary thing uh sci-fi costs a lot to produce and it really just needs uh the funds to be able to finish it off and do it properly because especially at the level that they're out at, at now uh, you can't just be releasing b movie looking stuff when you're working on you know uh universal pictures well look at the last sharknado as bad as that film was and as bad as the CGI was, it beats the living snot out of CGI 10 years ago. So if that's yeah. the level we've got to adhere to for an indie, yeah, we need to get our game stepped up. So I totally get that. Well, I think, too, it's just like I, I look at some of the older songs that I've written, and I'm actually revamping uh, a lot of the albums that I pulled off the market because I did everything on a Korg sequencer. And while mm-hmm. they sounded fine at the time, the level that is expected from me now as a composer the sound just doesn't hold up. And so as I look at it, I'm like, yep. well, the writing kind of doesn't either. So I'm, you know, upgrading some of the <laughs> that. But but I can't just go releasing stuff that sounds like it was recorded on a, you know, 1980s synthesizer when unless that's the motif of the song. So I, I get it. You know, you can't uh, you can't really go backwards if you're releasing something today. It's not going to be acceptable to go. Well, yeah, but this was a long time ago. You're still held to today's standards now. You are. Yeah, there's a fine line. I said it like all these remasters have come out it's okay to go back and revisit you know a a while later and upgrade it make it better like holistically not tweak a tweak a snare or make the violin lower or higher that that's tweaking where you don't need to but if you're remastering the whole thing with new instruments new sounds then that's that's good keep doing that but just don't do the other one no i agree and and i'm sorry george lucas but i like the idea that you could see the ground beneath the panels of the spaceship in some spots that's what made it what it was that's what made it what it was exactly well kevin i can't thank you enough for carving some time out of your day this has gone so quick you're definitely going to have to come back on the show uh, yeah, we'll do a uh, part two. Yeah, yeah for I'll, sure. I'll stop talking about studio builds and uh, <laughs> bad remasters. We'll, we'll do a part two for sure. But thank you for having me, Scott. It's good to catch up with you, and uh, I look forward to talking with you again. Sounds great, my friend. Have a great session and take care. Thanks, you too. Thanks. Well, it was short, but it was sweet. A lot of great information. Uh, Definitely can't wait to get Kevin back on the phone where we have a little more time to sit down and chat. Uh, But I really appreciate him squeezing me in before his studio session arrived for the day. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for hanging with me through another episode of the Haskincast podcast. Please remember to leave your five-star rating, four-star rating, three, two, or one-star rating. Be honest. That's what I really want. Um, but I want your honesty to be a five-star rating and uh, make sure that you go to the Facebook group of the Haskin Cast podcast, like that page or the page I should say, like that page and be entered into the drawing. We'll see you next week for episode 100. Cheers. Cheers.